after Jesus of Nazareth. The second most influential person in the history of the world was Saul of Tarsus. I think we've got an artist rendering of him that we could show up on a slide. Saul of Tarsus here with, uh, with this ministry of letter writing that we know he was about. He would later on be named the Apostle Paul. But, but many people believe that, that Jesus, most influential in, 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 in world history, and right after, this guy right here, for, for, for us, in the, uh, for, for us in, in the church, this is the way we would understand it, is that Jesus is Savior of the world. Saul, later now Paul, Saul was chosen to be the one to translate what Jesus as Savior of the world meant to a largely, overwhelmingly Gentile, non-Jewish landscape what does it what does it mean that jesus was the promised messiah if i'm not jewish and i have no idea what those words mean wait what does that even mean and it was it was this man chosen to deliver that and 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 by delivering it to the gentiles around the world he 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 was delivering it to us jesus number one but saul massively influential in world history and so, so, so there's value in studying the life of Paul for, to help us understand our, our place and, and, and the history that has led up to us. But there's also value in, in following the life of Paul and studying it because Paul was a model to be followed, particularly when it comes to, to how to pursue the very divine purpose that God has given to us. And so it's, it's valuable to us individually, but it's also valuable to us as a church to understand what Paul was about and what he went through. And I know, hear me, hear me, that's a lot of words, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there. What we're going to do is study Paul this morning and, and for a few Sundays to come because studying Paul helps us understand our place and where we're supposed to go from here and what we do and what matters to, to us. And so, so here's the story of Paul, and it actually starts with his own words in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and following, he says this, You heard about my previous life in Judaism, how I severely harassed God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my peers because I was much more militant about the traditions of my ancestors. But God had set me apart from birth and called me through His grace. He was pleased to reveal His Son to me so that I might preach about Him to the Gentiles. Paul says that, that my former life, you've heard about it, my former life, I was the chief persecutor of those who were following Jesus 
out of the Judaism that I believed was so right. I was the number one accuser. In fact, in fact what, he's, what he describes in many places is that he had received letters on behalf of the chief priest, letters that gave him authority to go and find anyone that was on the way with Jesus. On the way was the, uh, was the, the, firm, the, the, the term that we would now refer to as, as, as Christianity. Before the word Christianity was ever used, to be a follower of Jesus was to be on the way. He would go and seek these people out. He'd have them arrested. And then he even says himself, in, in many places, that he would participate in the votes that would, that would, be, that would call for their execution, their death. This is what he was about. We also know from other places that he was such a devout Jew that he believed in the very mystical tradition of praying all the time. It was, it was Paul that told the church later on that we are to pray without ceasing. And he was a man of integrity. He wouldn't have told people to do that if he had not done it himself. So I've actually come across uh, a, a really fascinating understanding of what was going on in that moment that he refers to when it says that, that God set me apart to reveal Jesus to me. Because he's actually describing an encounter he had with Jesus that was years after the resurrection, years after Jesus had all of those resurrection appearances with his disciples that we would call, you know, Acts, uh, you know, early on in Acts and the ends of the gospel. Years later, Paul claims to have encountered Jesus while he was on the road to Damascus on one of these trips. And N.T. Wright explains what he thinks is going on leading up to that encounter. It's really fascinating. He says that in fine Jewish tradition, Paul would have been meditating and praying as he walked down the road. He would have been you know, surrounded by others that were in his party, but he would have been meditating and praying. And he says this specifically, that on the road to Damascus, while he was meditating, like many people in his Jewish tradition, he would have very likely been meditating on one of the Hebrew story, the Hebrew scripture stories that comes to us from Ezekiel chapter 1. It's, it's on the throne chariot there in the beginning of that book. And in that story, the prophet sees first the whirling, spinning wheels of the chariot. And then, and then as the prophet begins to meditate more, and, and, and what would happen was is that Jews would, would remember that story and they would meditate the same way. And so they would first focus in, on the wheels and then they would begin to see the outline and the shape of the chariot itself. And then as they, as they meditated further and further, they would go up and up and up and then they would be able to see the throne. And, and N.T. Wright says that as he raised his eyes up, hoping to get a glimpse of the figure sitting on the throne, he says, I think Paul was longing to get a glimpse of the God he had worshipped all his life. And instead, when he gets to the figure and the face of the one seated on the throne, it's none other than Jesus himself. Which would have been startling. In fact, N.T. Wright says that in that moment, Paul would have experienced utter and total devastation and utter and total fulfillment at the same time. We, we, you have to appreciate from, from his own story and the way that he describes it, which we're going to read in just a minute again, he had given 
everything. He was all in, cashed in all of his chips to persecute anyone that followed Jesus. And then to see in his own, in his, with it, with it, in his own head and with his own eyes that the one he was persecuting is the very one who was now speaking to him. It would have devastated everything he believed, but also fulfilled everything he believed. Later on, he would travel with, um, with, uh, with, a, with a host of companions, but one of them was Luke. Luke, the writer of the, of the gospel. Luke, the writer of the sequel to the gospel, the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles that's included in our New Testament. On three different occasions, Luke uh, describes what he had heard Paul say in, uh, in Acts chapter 26, the third of those. If you turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 12, we hear Paul describing to King Agrippa that very journey. It says, I was on such journey, I was going to Damascus with the full authority of the chief priest. While on the road at midday, King Agrippa, because he's, he's actually having this conversation with a king, I saw a light from heaven shining around me and my traveling companions. That light was brighter than the sun. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice that said to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? It's hard for you to kick against the spear. Then I said, who are you? Lord, the Lord replied, I am Jesus whom you are harassing. Get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you as my servant and witness of what you have seen and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to open their eyes. Then they can turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are made holy by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, Paul would have said, I wasn't disobedient to that heavenly vision. Instead, I proclaimed first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, then to the whole region of Judea and to the Gentiles. My message would, was that they should change their hearts and lives and turn to God, and that they should demonstrate this change in their behavior. Because of this, some Jews seized upon me, in the temple and tried to murder me. God has helped me up to this very day. Therefore, I stand here and bear witness to the lowly and the great. I'm saying nothing more than what the prophets and Moses declared would happen, that the Christ would suffer and that, as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light, both to my people and to the Gentiles. This is the word of God for we the people of God. And we say together, Thanks be to God. I've, I've chosen this passage to, to, to fill us in both on his narrative, on his story, because that's what this is doing. Paul's telling this king, and he, and he, and he tells everybody that will hear, that I was once this way, and now I'm a different way. And the change occurred because God came to me, in, and, and with my very eyes, I saw Jesus in front of me. And again, remember, N.T. Wright's explanation is, I was meditating on, on, on hoping to get a glimpse of the one who had made me and had ordered the universe. And when I get the glimpse, lo and behold, it's the one that I thought it could never be. 
And it changed my heart, and, and, and it changed all of my behavior ever since. And it's important to understand Paul's story and Paul's narrative, but it's equally important to hear Paul begin, just, just on the surface, to describe how this change in his life has impacted his behavior and his thinking and even what he says. So this, this, this retelling here today is both for the purpose of hearing his story, but also beginning to process what hearing his story means. Now, it's worth pointing out that, that, that this conversion moment for Paul is not typical for conversion moments in the modern church. When someone gives their life to Jesus now, when someone gets converted now, they're typically being converted from, from atheism or, or for, from, from being an agnostic, you know, someone, for someone who's not believing or someone who, who, who is, who's wishy-washy on it to believing in Jesus. That's, that's not exactly what's happening with, with Paul. Paul was devout. Paul believed in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Paul followed all the rules. I mean, he, he, you, can, you can hear him. I mean, he, he says that I was better than the rest at following the rules. I was better at the rest than, than separating myself and being better. You know, I was, I, was, I was the best of the best. So Paul's conversion wasn't from not believing in God to then believing in God. It was from believing in God to understanding that what God had done in Jesus was the very fulfillment of everything God had ever said. So in that way, so in that way, his conversion is different from ours, but, but hear me, but in every other way, his conversion is the same. Because he's saying, I had an old way of living, and I couldn't live that way anymore. I had an, an, an old viewpoint and perspective on the world, and I realized it was not true and accurate, and it was not the best way to live. And the same goes for us. To be converted to a follower of Jesus Christ today means to say that no longer can I place my trust in material possessions. No longer can I place my trust in, 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 in my appearance. No longer can I place my trust in being influential or being knowledgeable. No longer can I place my trust in, in any number of these false little gods. And, and the thing is, we're so good at sinning. I'm talking to everybody in the room. We're so good at sinning, we take good stuff and make it bad. I mean, th think, think with me. There are people that you and I know, there are people in the room who have from time to time turned family into an idol and said, oh my gosh, family's so important. I just, I, I, we don't use these words, but, but we do it. I don't, it I, I, it's just all about family. It's all about, it's all about family. Tell me that doesn't sound like idol worship. Or it's, or it's, or it's all about my friends. I mean, I just, I just, I'm, I'm going to sell out and do everything that my friends, I, I've got to keep them no matter what. I'll trade in my values so that I can keep my friends. That's idolatry. That's false God. Or, or, or even something like, like good health. 
You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna go cash in all in for for good health, good health, good health. And God's given us these things which are good, but we've twisted them and perverted them into something they're not supposed to be. We need to be converted from that way of living and that way of thinking. Because because the, the thing is that Jesus is not a plus one kind of savior. Nowhere in the Scriptures does it say that that Jesus wants to be Lord and He's fine to be Lord of our lives along with something else. Submitting to Jesus is about putting everything in its place. And and for much of that, for, for most of that, it means taking it and removing it altogether. And for the rest of it, it means having it converted and, 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 and placed in submission to Jesus as Lord. For all the passion that Paul had about being the best before his Damascus Road moment, he says his life up to that point, he now considers sewage. He actually uses a different word. He said, it was all just dung. For all the good I had ever done in my own mind, it amounts to nothing. Because because giving my life to Jesus matters more now than all of that. And and we sit here, most of us, we sit here as as those that are on, on the right side of having made such a decision. And yet we're confronted with how hard that still is. What's the greatest obstacle to me getting right with God? It's my selfishness. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. So the attitude that comes from selfishness is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law because it can't. If I'm going to remain selfish, then the stuff of God and God's direction and divine purpose for my life is contrary to my selfishness. I can't be selfish and a Christian. I can't be selfish and submit my life to Jesus. I can't be selfish and and claim to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. I can't be both. But, But God gives us, by His grace, the path to get it done. He says just a couple chapters later, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Trusting with the heart leads to righteousness and confessing with the mouth leads to salvation. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And and Jesus Himself, it's not just Paul later on telling us, hey, I figured it out, it's all about submission. 
I mean, that'd be one thing. That'd be one thing if, if Paul, who had this revelation and, and encountered Jesus, says, okay, I, I, I went away and I, I prayed a bunch and I figured it out and I'm going to write some books and write some letters and I'm going to live my life and it's all about submission and this is a new thing. I mean, that'd be one thing, but that's not at all what's happening. He's, he's preaching a gospel of submitting to Jesus because he's encountered Jesus and Jesus was all about submitting. How many times did Jesus say, not my will, but whose? But yours, O God. I mean, at one point in John chapter 5, verse 30, this is early on in the gospel. I can't do anything by myself. Whatever I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. I don't seek my own will, but the will of one who sent me. Hang on, leave it right there. This is, this is what this says. Jesus submitted. And we're supposed to be like Jesus. That's what it means. That's what it means to be a baptized Christian. Is that I'm supposed to think and speak and do like Jesus did. And Jesus submitted. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this story that's told, and, and probably everybody in the room is aware of this story. It's, it's, it's told that, uh, that there was a young man. He, he, uh, he's described variously as being a rich young man or a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. You know this story, right? Rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, uh, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know this story. And Jesus says, all right, uh, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. It's like, you know, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, honor your father. You know, he's, he's basically, he rattles off like half the Ten Commandments. It's probably assumed that he means the other half too. But, you know, he's like half the Ten Commandments. Do, do those. And, and the rich young man, the, 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 the young man says, done it already. I prepped ahead of time. Got it. Done it. And Jesus says, okay, then the next thing you must do is you must take all your possessions, which it's apparent you are clinging to, and give them away. What does the gospel say that the man did? He went away what? Sad. He went away sad. Now imagine being one of the disciples that's watched this interchange between the rich young ruler and Jesus. They've got to be thinking, what just happened? If that guy, who did you see the size of his wallet? Did you see? He, every card in there was gold. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I mean, his credit rating was through the roof. Did you see that? If that guy gets turned away by Jesus, then what shot do we have? Jesus actually tells him. He tells him, it's going to be tougher. In this very story, it's going to be tougher for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than it would be for what? Camel. To fit through the eye of a needle. And so, no wonder this is the disciples' response. No wonder. Then who can be saved? Matthew chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. Jesus looked at them carefully and said, 
it's impossible for human beings. And I'm telling you, I can see it right now. He's halfway through that sentence, and he gets to the word impossible, and all 12 of them are like, forget it. And they just start walking away. I mean, you can't you see it? All 12 of them, and whoever else is listening. They're, they're turning to each other going, let's get out of here. We followed this guy for two years, and now he has the audacity to let us in on the secret that, guess what? It's impossible. Jerk. It doesn't say that, but I'm telling you it's in the original. It's in the original. But before they're able to, to turn their backs and walk away, he slides in this reminder. Oh, it's impossible for us. But all things are possible for God. This is the word for us today. For all that we can learn about submitting for all that we can learn about committing our lives to Jesus and following Him, we can do none of it on our own. Riches aren't enough. Knowledge is not enough. Even wanting is not enough. Only God is enough. And that's precisely what God wants from us. And that's precisely what this church has been about from the beginning you know I mean, you've heard me we're a few weeks away from celebrating the 125th anniversary of the first sunday in that building right there first sunday on this property 125 years and, and i believe you got that i believe that leading people to commit encouraging them to give their lives to Jesus and, and, and to follow the Spirit as God, I believe that's been what we've been about all along. I can, I can see along with you babies that for a hundred years were carried for the first time by their moms through the doors of that building. And they were raised to put away idolatry of all that the world would teach us that would imperil us and lead us to devastation, to put that away and instead put our trust in Jesus. But not just, not just children that would grow up to be young people, but people of all ages were invited, have been invited to this church by friends. Friends have bought, brought us here and shown us a better way. And, and because of our friends doing that, we've been encouraged to submit to Jesus as Lord and the Holy Spirit as God. And, and not only friends, but spouses have invited their spouses to come here, have encouraged their spouses to keep coming. And here's the, here's the beautiful thought, part. Some of those spouses are actually their friends too. All right, that's a little better than the 9 o'clock. They didn't laugh at all. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with them and their marriages on Labor Day, but they didn't laugh at all. This right here is the first step that God is calling us as individuals and us as a church to be about. It's not the only step. There's, there's, there's more to the gospel. There's more to being a church together, but this is the first one. That we would continue to be a place that leads each other to submit to Jesus and the Spirit. 
And the reason this is important for me is because I still need to do it. I'm in continual need of repenting and turning back to that which is right. I am, and we all are. Let's pray. God, you have called us to turn away from old lives and choose new life. The life that's granted by your son, Jesus. Your desire is that we would commit to Jesus as Lord and submit to the Spirit as our guide. And yet the greatest obstacle the thing holding us back is this sinful selfishness that's been lying to us all along, telling us that we can make it on our own. Lord, forgive us, we pray. Free us from this bondage that would steal our joy and eventually crush our hopes. Like Paul, help us to change our hearts and see that our behaviors change as well. Lord, this is my prayer for every person here. There are folks in the room that need to pray this prayer. Join with me in it for the first time. And there are folks in the room that need to to, to pray this prayer for the first time today because we've prayed it before, but, but we need to pray it again. Lord, I place my trust in your son, Jesus. And I call upon your Holy Spirit to guide me. By your grace, by your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.